Hello, Tom here. The Berkshire Football Stories podcast has got a new sponsor. Exciting, huh? That doesn't mean that we've got new kit, though. The club secretary has made us print it over the top of last season's shirt sponsor. He reckons it'll stretch to at least another year. He mumbled something about those footballs we keep kicking over the fence, not paying for themselves. Our new sponsor? Oh, that would be MRS Digital, an award-winning digital marketing agency offering affordable social media, pay-per-click and search engine optimization to help local businesses thrive since 1999. To find out more, visit mrs.digital and tell them we sent you. Hello and welcome to the Berkshire Football Stories podcast with me, Tom Canning, and him, Rob Davis. This is our pub, but not in a pub chat podcast we're doing daily to try and keep ourselves and all of you busy during the lockdown. You can see more podcasts from us by searching Berkshire Football Stories on your favourite podcast app. You can also follow us on Twitter at FI Berkshire and find out more at www.footballinberkshire.co.uk. Um, you may have seen on Twitter, uh, Rob and I are going to take a short break of about approximately seven days where we will not look at each other on video chat at all uh, don't worry the podcast will return um i think we'll we'll do a every other day rather than every day um purely because we've had quite a lot of people saying there's a lot of podcasts out there that we've we've now done and they're struggling to keep up so um i suppose that's a wonderful position to be in rob don't you think yeah absolutely yeah but a big back catalogue for people to get through if they uh, are missing the sound of our dulcet tones exactly and i've been i've been thinking about doing some themed uh twitter threads with various different podcasts if you want to speak if you want to listen to managers if you want to listen to uh players uh, i did a, did a women's football thread earlier so all different ones anyway moving swiftly on because we are eating into his time and i know he's eager to tell us all about what's going on um so today our special guest is kieran jennings formerly of afc Aldermaston, and and as we discovered on Monday with Glenn Gowdy, Wallingford Town. Hello, Kieran. Hello, Tom. Hello, Rob. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Um, balancing working from home uh, with my wife and two small children who are trying to do schoolwork. So Blimey. it's a bit of an unusual situation, but we're all getting through it at the moment. I, I suppose talking of unusual situations, Unlike most people who we've spoken to on this podcast, who uh, have are also juggling thoughts about the end of the season, D, and the way the season ended, juggling thoughts about what they're going to do next season, you currently are unattached, aside from your lovely wife. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, Thank you for any ideas. I should be delighted <laughs> to hear it. I'm sure. Um, yeah, so um, I've been at Wallingford for just over a year. I think October 18, I think I joined them. Um, Glenn reached out to me after I'd left Aldermaston, um, needing a, wanting a little bit of support in his backroom staff. And it's a really good club to get involved with. Lovely people. Um, Glenn's a, a cracking guy as a manager, very good manager. Um, and Andy Silver working with him as well. Um, I learned a lot from both of them, but I've always had a, a hankering to want to get back into being the number one. Or if I was going to continue coaching, to be looking, probably do it a little bit higher up the pyramid because I'm a, a B-licensed coach. Um, I've been coaching for quite a few years now and it's looking for, for a, an opportunity to sort of kick on. And with the season finishing as it did, I think we had a bit of a conversation that it might be the right time for, for all parties um, to sort of go our separate ways, really. How does a, how does a conversation like that go? Was it sort of, I, I guess what I'm trying to get to, it wasn't a case of Glenn called you in and said, right, uh, this is this is what's happening well, how did that kind of conversation go I think well we had a conversation about the plans for next season 
Um, and it's just sort of talking about our thoughts and what we wanted to do. And I think it was at that point we sort of had discussed with each other and we were just honest about it and said, look, I don't think I particularly want to carry on being backroom for another year necessarily um, at step six, if I can try and find something else. And I know Glenn had probably had some conversations as well about future proofing. I don't think it came as a big surprise. We've been working together for a while and been very honest with each other. He's always known my plan just to try and go off on my own again. Um, and I think he's then had an opportunity to get someone else involved uh, for next season. So it was very amicable um, and it just sort of worked out for all parties, really. How do you uh, um, go about looking for um, jobs at this level? Is it just a case of checking press releases and uh, applying as such? And uh, what are your considerations when looking for these jobs? So I think, yeah, I mean, most of the time it's just looking to see, you know, press releases, combined counties, Hellenic teams. Are there any changes? Um, looking even higher if there's any changes in staff or you know, teams are looking to... Um, to add to their backroom staff, so step four level possibly. Um, looking at things like Twitter, it's a valuable tool when you see people are leaving or people, there's changes there. Um, so that's kind of mainly how I've gone about it at the moment. Or just contacting people I know as well who think, you know, do you know if there's any changes in certain clubs coming up that there might be um, something coming up in the future? But at the moment, I mean, there's already been one or two changes in teams, but I think over the next month or so, there might be a few more opportunities that possibly might come up, but we'll wait and see. Is, uh, is geography the main factor for you? Um, I mean, like when it comes to preference, you mentioned that you either want to coach a little bit higher up the pyramid or uh, get back to uh, uh, being number one at sort of, yeah. I guess, step five, step six level. Yeah. Um, what um, is, uh, Do you have a preference on either of those? And is geography the main factor sort of when deciding something like this? Well, I think I'm a bit of a control freak. So being number one would be my preference. Um, just mm -hmm. to be, be responsible for something, I, I like that it's always difficult when you're putting an idea forward and if you don't think it's take, not taken on board, but if it's not followed, you think, well, maybe I would have done it this way. Um, and that's not to say I'd be right or someone else would be wrong. But geography is probably a bigger factor um, family-wise. But as the kids are getting a little bit older, I think I'm happier to stretch myself a bit further. Ideally, um, I'd quite like to look at something in combined counties, but sort of, yeah, Reading, between Junction 12, Junction 10, Junction 8, 9 area, you're looking... That's the ideal. Um, but I understand mm. if I wanted to coach higher, you might have to be a little bit stretched from that. But you'd hope there'd be some reward that might come with it at the same time. Um, I, I wanted to just go back to kind of your, your managerial career and how it started. So we first encountered each other when you were at AFC Aldermaston, uh, and that was after the club had been moved up from the, the Thames Valley Premier League. Uh, yeah. that, was a, that was a few years ago. Was, was Aldermaston your first managerial role? So the, the first what I call proper coaching role I have was with Reading Women. I joined oh, okay. Reading Women as a development manager back in 2011. So it was just about a couple of months before my first child, Annabelle, was born. Um, and I coached there for three years, working under uh, Phil Cousins, who was the first manager when they were in the FA Premier League, um, and then Kelly Chambers and Jane Ludlow, who's now the Welsh International Manager was a, when I was at the development team at the end. Um, so my second child came along and I was trying to balance two kids, full-time job, um, and it just became something I had to give. Um, and as Reading were kind of preparing for the WSL, I thought it was a good time to sort of step away. Um, I then applied for at least one Hellenic position um, as a manager uh, for a Division One East team. Did get offered the job, but I think at the time it didn't feel quite right. 
geographically wise. I thought I've just walked out of one job because of time constraints. I'm going to be going into another position that's going to be taking me all over the place. But after about six months, um, I was going crazy at home. Absolutely felt a bit like <laughs> felt a bit I'd lost a, lost a little bit of my identity because I've always had football, football coaching, be it Sunday league, kids football, the women's game as I did before that. Um, and then I saw an advert for TVPL side at AFC Aldermaston on the Barks and Bucks website. Rung them up, spoke to Martin, the chairman, and his son Richard. He became an assistant manager, and it went from there really. So it was my first sort of going on my own for a first team job. But I'd done development team management before that. And and did it? The Aldermaston was a when we went. I, I loved it there. I thought it when we went there. Just just purely sort of the the ground was was different. Um, the 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 fact you sort of went up the stairs to the to the bar um the fact it was enclosed within a in a sort of a, a nuclear research facility yeah um what was it like as a as a club um it's a smashing club chairman martin is a, a really lovely fella and he said they've got great facilities there on site you've got skittle alley there's a theater in the in the bar area behind there as well so everything that was set up on site for a cricket club etc um, and I had a really, really good time there. I think I was about three, three years, three and a bit years. Um, it kind of came to an end, I think, because it had to. We'd had some changes in the back, uh, in sort of the back room that probably I didn't particularly get on very well with, and it just felt at the time it was the right time to move on. Um, we'd, we'd had a hundred percent start to the season last year, but it just for me personally, I was taking too much baggage home with me every day, and it was just getting too tiring. Um, and I thought it was the right time to move. But it was a, yeah, it's a very there's a small number of volunteers, but they're very dedicated. And as you say, it's a very welcoming club um, and it's got really good facilities there. And it's a team I always look out for the result for. Did um, that step up from from the Thames Valley Premier League? Because you finished, if I remember rightly, you finished, I've written a lot about this in the past. And I think you finished seventh and you got promoted. Did yeah. that worry you at all? Um not so much because I knew on our day in the TVPL we could match most of the teams in the league. So Reading YMCA had won the league quite a lot. We beat them in a cup semi-final to get to the, the Reading uh, Senior Cup final at Medeski Stadium. Um, we'd had good results against a lot of the high-flying teams. I think when we knew we were going to go up because of the ground grading, we sort of spent the second half of that season looking at a lot of players we thought might come with us. So the results did drop away a little bit. And also we had to focus for another senior cup final at Medeski, which we kind of took as the priority to try and try and win. We got there two years in a row. Uh, and as is my luck, I've, I've done three games at the Medeski Stadium and lost all three of them so oh, far. You and, you and Roger Harridge have things in common then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you haven't been out of work um, between these jobs for very long. Well, maybe slightly between the uh, the Reading ladies and the... Um, all the Marston job, but um, is there ever um, a fear that uh, it's hard to get back into uh, these uh, managerial roles, or so far have you just found it fairly straightforward and fairly easy? Um, when I left Aldermaston, and I sort of, yeah, the, the statement went out that I was leaving, I probably had seven or eight or nine um, opportunities, not to manage, but to go and coach with different people. Um, straight away and I think at that time I just thought no I don't want to go straight from one thing to another so I went to go and watch a lot of games locally Woodley United Reading City because I live in Tarlust and they're literally around the corner it's fantastic to have a club so close um, Tell me about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah and um, but going to watch uh, Burnham and I went to go and watch Wallingford funnily enough in the FA Vars against Abingdon United um, and then it was just after about six weeks or so 
it been there. Then Glenn got back in contact from that point, and that sort of, now feels like the right sort of time. You know, Saturdays should be out doing something more than just pottering around, and there are probably going to be DIY jobs requested. <laughs> so, it's a good time to get out there rather than uh, rather than wait. Um, but yeah, and I think that was part of the reason for me wanting to leave. Those if I stayed back room at Wallingford much longer, I did fear that I might become slightly forgotten. Um, so this was an opportunity to get out for myself really and sort of make people know I'm available and wanting to get back in rather than sort of sitting as a coach and, and just possibly wait, yeah, see if something does fall into my lap. Um, a question that just, just occurred to me, in terms of obviously looking at jobs, would would a would a managerial position in, in the women's game be suitable for you? And I only ask this purely because we haven't had anybody on, aside from maybe Craig McCreith, who is a who is the goalkeeper coach at Reading at the moment, um, we haven't had anybody on who kind of has had that experience in in the women's mm. game. So would would there be thoughts of crossing across into the into the women's game to manage a team? It would depend on level, but I'd never say never. I mean, I had a great time working with Reading. I worked with some fantastic players, some really good coaches, some players I'm really proud to have worked with who've gone on to become internationals, and some players who've just stayed in the, in the local game. So Rosie Page Smith, who plays for Woodley, um, she was in the development team. Sarah Thompson, who you interviewed a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Um, I think she was 16 and I gave one of her first games working for the, playing for the Reading development team. Um, so you get to, I never say never. I think my preference would be to try and get further up the men's pyramid. Um, but you never know what opportunities might come up. And, and if it's the right feel for an opportunity, then then certainly we'll discuss it. So um, Glenn got in contact and you uh, eventually, or after a little break, went back to uh, um, uh, Wallingford. Uh, what was it about uh, Wallingford that uh, drew you in there and that contact? Because like you say, you had uh, eight or nine offers for coaching yeah. as, uh, as soon as you left Aldermaston. What was it that stood out uh, particularly about Wallingford? Um, well, I had a conversation with Glenn on the phone and when you guys spoke to him only, only uh, the other day, yeah. he's a very warm, friendly person and he, he likes his football to be done the right way. He's very engaging. We got on, we hit it off really well. It's the first time we've probably spoken to each other. Um, he invited me along to come and just sort of observe the game against Burnham. They had the following Saturday. Um, and I got in the dressing room, met everybody, sat in the dugout, gave a couple of little thoughts and opinions. Um, and I was just really impressed that the bunch of lads they had, there was just a really, really good bunch of lads. Um, yeah, I've, I've been in dressing rooms before where there's a few that are always hard to keep hold of and they're, they're hard to control. And they'll do their own thing. Yeah, it might let you down with lateness discipline, but I think we never had that at all at Wallingford. Everyone there was, um, yeah, they listened. They wanted to do their best. They wanted to work hard. And I think it was just a real good atmosphere. And I took a training session then the following Tuesday. Um, Glenn was away. Andy was away. So I took the group by myself. Um, they really just worked hard in it and they enjoyed it. And it kind of just gave that nice warm feeling to go, yeah, I'm back. I'm enjoying it. I know I'm good at it. You kind of get that, that reminder that, yeah, I'm good at this. I'm happy doing it. And this feels like a nice fit. It's good facilities. Let's see how um, how this works out for a while. Must have been, uh, um, if you've never spoken to Glenn before to uh, get a call, it must be, how, you know, that must be a pretty good to know that your reputation is preceding you in a way and uh, that your work in uh, other areas is getting noticed. Um, it Was that the case for all the others? And, you know, is that how you're feeling? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'd like to think so. Um, I mean, we created quite a good atmosphere at Aldermaston. Uh, we had quite a good reputation as a team. Um, and, and most players I've worked with have always gone away and said positive things. 
Um, obviously, I've had fallings out with some and made some bad decisions on others. Um, but generally, I've, I've kind of hopefully developed a good reputation. I think that's that kind of has gone before me, thinking I opened up, hopefully we'll open up more opportunities in the future as well. I, I realise this is this is sort of turning into a bit more of a, an older master chat, but I, I just you, you're talking about that that team uh, that, that you had there, and and it, and it being quite a quite a quite a good reputation. You, you had some you had some players in there, didn't you? Uh, Richard Richard Jones, Dan Smith, yeah. uh, uh, Kai Part and Edie. Kai Part and Edie, yeah, loved him or hated him. <laughs> was uh, was was banging in the goals pretty much every week, but you had some you had some some decent players in there who played at yeah. good levels. Um, but now I, I remember Richard probably won't thank me for for bringing this up, but he he left you guys and then went to Asker and very quickly came back. Yeah. What what's that like when a player leaves? And then sort of, and I, I won't necessarily. I don't know because I don't know what Richard's reasons for for going and his com- reasons for coming back. But as a manager, how do you deal with that when a player leaves, leaves you? And obviously, he did step up a level uh, yeah. to go and play for us, but leaves and then wants to come back. How do you deal with that as a as a manager? Because obviously, the players in the team as well might have opinions on on certain things around that. Yeah. So um, just to take that that example, I mean. It, the second year in the Hellenic, we had a lot of problems. We had players leave and it was hard to replace at short notice, etc. But Richard's example, um, that was thinking our first year in the Hellenic, he'd had yeah. a really good game, I think, at Finchampstead and, and there was somebody there watching him. Um, and I, he, he, you know, he put, gives me credit for giving him a good motivational team talk before he went out and played and I regretted it afterwards. He got approached straight away. Um, but no, he, um, he was very good and honest about it he gave me a call and just said look there's an opportunity to go to Ascot it's step higher we did have a chat about it and they said you know what are your opportunities to play like there you know um sort of similar thing you do most things don't just jump into bed with the first offer is it something you're going to go and play but um I said to him when we left here doors always open as I say to most players if you leave if you leave favorably I mean you just have to look at um you do yeah, the the transfers that you see on the Football in Berkshire website. You see the amount of times a player returns <laughs> to a club he's played for a previous year or years before. Um, I said the door's always open because we left amicably. Um, it didn't work out for him there for one reason or another. And when, once the time had elapsed, I sent a message back. You're always welcome to come back because you know, left backs are hard to find. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we did say there'll probably be a little bit of Mickey taking in the dressing room. You're just going to have to suck that up for a little while. And he did. He came back in and he took it on the chin. And so we had a good dressing room and everyone came a little bit of stick, but I think it just made him determined to put in some good performances when he came back. So, um, yeah, I think it's just you have to try to be grown up about it, really, and not feel it's the bitterness against against you as a person. It's just someone wanting to kick on and, and play somewhere else. Your first season at Wallingford uh, went uh, pretty well. Uh, it has to be said, top four, I believe, you uh, finished, or it's certainly uh, pushing for... Uh, promotion till fairly late on yeah. in the league, and uh, yeah, uh, the success happened fairly quickly. I think that was Wallingford's uh, first season back in the uh, Div One East. Um, what was the key to the success thereafter um, uh, with such a good season? So I think it was their second season because I think they'd come into oh, the Div One that they with with Aldermaston had. Um, I think we came. I think it was seventh. Because we were pushing towards the. the to Townsend near the top. And we had a cup final as well, um, where we okay. played Thornbury. Um, and unfortunately, we, we lost very late on in that game to a set-piece goal. Um, 
what sort of kicked on again it was just the dressing room it was a good bunch of lads I mean Glenn didn't have the biggest of squads last year there was times where we had 16 year olds on the bench and 16 year olds coming in and playing considerable minutes um, but we had some fantastic results beating Virginia Water at home in the cup uh, going away to Flackwell Heath in you know wind that was making you stand horizontally and it was a um, fantastic performance we had a goal scorer in Charlie Silkstone last year who scored yeah. uh, an awful number of goals uh, yeah, and developed his game as well and good players there's some good players in that team Luke Williams central midfield player um, really neat and tidy on the ball but everyone just played for each other I think it was a little bit more difficult this year there's been some changes in staff uh, changes in, in playing personnel sorry um, and we were in pretty much every game we started the season off we just maybe couldn't get over the line or gave away a daft late goal um, then had a really good run again this year and things like that they were turning around a little bit and obviously the the season had to get curtailed. Um, I wanted to get a little bit hypothetical. Um, new job comes along, you, you take the you take the manager's job, whichever club it is. Um, who are you calling in terms of managers? Who are you who are you ringing to talk to? Um, who are the people that you kind of you would look to to kind of start building, like kind of building this this club that you've moved to in in your image at this point, Kieran? Um. It's a good question, really, because I don't have that close a relationship with many other managers in the league. I'm on a decent enough relationship with them, you know, chatting and yeah. sending each other messages every now and again. But I suppose wherever I went to raise it into your own image is kind of what I'd want to do. Um, I'm a bit of a, a fanatic for reading sports biographies, sports podcasts, TV shows on you know, Netflix and things like that. And there's a, I put an awful lot of thought into... Yeah, how I like things to work, how I'd like things to be, the setup, preparation before matches, in terms of things, and how how you plan your training out for weeks in advance, so it's not just week to week. So it's it's kind of I'd rely on myself, but then, yeah, there's people like said Glenn working with recently. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've had conversations before with Danny Robinson at Thatcham. We had a bit of a link between Aldermaston and Thatcham before, and we yeah. sat in the bar up at Thatcham a couple of times and talked about how he got his team together and how I could try and improve things at Aldermaston before. Um, so those sorts of people, really. But it's, I've got a lot of sort of player friends in the game. Like you talked about Dan Smith and people like that who yeah. I've played with for a lot of and I value their opinion very much as well. Um, uh, we, we, and I, th- I think um, it doesn't count as tapping up because you don't have a manager's job at this point. <laughs> um, but we asked Mick, Mick Woodham this question, and because uh, he, well, yes, I suppose he, in the, in the in a way, he's looking for he's looking for a role as well himself. Um, so, and I guess, what, what would the spine of a of a Kieran Jennings team look like? What which players would you would that you've kind of worked with? Would you want to have in those kind of key sort of goalkeeper, centre back, uh, midfield, and and, a, and one up top kind of situations? What would that spine look like? Yeah, that again, it's another good question, Tom. Well, that's two in a row. I can see why this podcast going well. That's good. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think. It's a strange because at Aldermaston we had a you know the team evolved slightly and there's always things in certain players that you like that make your team so I think it's you can always have the way you want to play so I always played different like a three five two at times or played like a four three three or a four four one one and it always suits kind of who the, the players you have um, it is what will drive that I mean this is this was some very good players I've worked with over the last sort of three to four years. But for me, it's the importance of the value of having a really good goalkeeper, 
really good goalkeeper and it's something daft when we signed Dan Smith at Aldermaston he's a really good goalkeeper he made mistakes like most other goalkeepers in the league but he had a good character to get past it and that's key and the fact that it's a, a silly thing but the fact he could kick the ball about 60 yards from the ground <laughs> yeah we had some other good goalkeepers who played for me but they couldn't get the ball that far and you're defending off your first kick and it's so it's probably more I have more of a, like a criteria of what you want to have in those you know, centre-halves who can head it and kick it but can take a touch and put the ball consistently into areas you want them to put it in strikers who are happy to run channels maybe if they're not physically able in the air that's fine as long as they can run and put pressure on teams and I've always wanted teams I've been involved with to be positive positive to try and win the ball back as far up the pitch as they can and I've always had a little rule for my teams is yeah I want to try and play 70% of the game in the opposition's half which isn't kick and rush and get it in there it's once we get it in there, can we keep it in there? Can we win it back while we're in there and then keep the ball back in there again? So it's kind of players that would fit that mould, really, would be the uh, sort of spine of the team. Looking back over the, uh, um, like, your three main coaching jobs so far, um, what highlights would you pick out and say, like, oh, you know, that for me is uh, one of the things I'm most proud of in my sort of fairly, I guess, fairly uh, uh, young coaching career? As it is. Um, well, I won a couple of cups at Reading, county trophies. Um, though, in truth, we probably should have won those, regardless of whoever was in charge of them. I think doing my very first game at the Medeski Stadium, we were at Brighton Development were top of the league and we were second. And then we played them at Medeski. They managed to switch the game so we could play it there. And we had a good couple of hundred people watching it, lights on, first time using the dressing rooms wow. and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and you do kind of think this is... This is proper, isn't it? Um, and then coming back to do it a couple of times, uh, I said with Aldermaston, um, I said being unsuccessful um, every single time, unfortunately. But those are the sort of moments you walk away and remember. That's it gets you close enough to being what a real full-time coach and manager would be like, standing on the sideline of a proper pitch with twenty-five thousand seats around you. Um, but it, some of the players as well, working with some of the players, giving games to some other girls at Reading, Emma Jones, who's now Welsh International, Rachel Newber is a Northern Ireland International, people like that, and thinking, you know, bringing them into the, the first team, uh, sorry, development team at Reading when they were 16, and giving them opportunities to play and seeing them flourish is something that makes you, um, <clears throat> makes you proud as well. Uh, we spoke to uh, Aaron Steadman in a, a previous pod a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him a question about uh, his ambitions and things going forward. And he actually sort of plotted out quite a, a lot of uh, things that he sort of had on his radar about coaching mm -hmm. further up the league and even uh, potentially abroad and um, and uh, managing or coaching or managing in places that you might even get to play uh, if you do well. Um, early levels of uh, things like the Champions League yeah. uh, is something like that. Um, <clears throat> how you view your future and your uh, ambitions or um, are there actual things you want to achieve in a tick list or is it just sort of um, the next step is what you're focusing on more, um, more predominantly? I think when I, I mean, I did my first coaching badges when I was around 20 <clears throat> and at the time I would love to have been a professional coach. I think I walked away from it as a time uh, due to work commitments and I came back to start coaching again I did all my badges again and then did the B license on top and I was late 20s early 30s I think I realized at that point I was never going to be a full-time professional coach but I wanted to be in a position where I could the idea would be that I can get paid for doing it and I had that for a while at Reading I was getting paid to be a coach and that was lovely um, all the money went to nursery fees in the end um, <laughs> but that that was the that was a dream um, I'd love to get back into a position where I can be paid to coach 
um, and be in things like the FA Cup, FA Vars or, or Trophy, whichever, you know, be in the FA affiliated competitions on a regular basis. I have started recently thinking more about the off-field side of it. So I've done some online analysis, opposition analysis courses and things like that. And I recently did, uh, is a, I can't remember his name, unfortunately, That's which is a bit of a disappointment, but there's a, a chap who's an Englishman who's a coach out in Latvia. Um, and he put a tweet out just to say, if anyone wanted to help with some opposition analysis for a friendly they had coming up against a, a top-flight Latvian team, I put my hand up and he sent me the game and I did a little reporting pack um, for the game in preparation for his, for, the, for their match. Um, and it was quite well received and it was things like that. I think well, actually, I could quite happily diversify into that in the future as well, doing analysis and match reports or scouting and things. So, um, yeah, the, the dream would be to get paid doing something on a, on a regular basis. Was that Jack Lang? No, it was oh. a t- Tony, um, Tony Mack something or other, unfortunately. I can't remember the second part of his name, but isn't it? You know, he's from a scouser. I think he's never Tony, so he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I Googled it. I typed Lat- English coach in Latvia and it came yeah. up with uh, a, a chap called Jack Lang. That's uh, obviously not the, uh, not the, not the chap. No. Um, Sorry, Rob, were you, did you, I was not looking at what you, did you put your finger up there? No, no, no okay. Um, Kieran, did you have a playing career? Um, I think the, I was listening to the one with the, the chaps from Barks County, I think very similar to Ellis, yeah. Ellis on that one. No, I mean, I played kids football, South Tutor Minor League up to 17, uh, went into Sunday League football, but similar in the way that, you know, you, you know, you're not good enough to ever get much further with it. And that's when I started looking into the coaching side yeah. of it. Yeah, I've been going to football matches since I was six years old and the season ticket at Everton since I was 16, um, which has since yeah passed. I haven't had that for a, long, <laughs> for a while now. Um, but yeah, I've been to watch a lot of football. Me and my dad, um, if we couldn't go to an Everton game on a Saturday, we'd go and watch Reading at Elm Park yeah, when they were Division 3. And, and I always took a great sort of interest in the players, but also how teams were playing. And that's sort of the coaching um sort of bug came out of me thinking how does this all work how is it put together um and then once you sort of get to 21 22 and you know I, mean, I still played a bit of sunday league throughout and played five sides etc until the knees started to go on me um but uh but yeah no, no great shakes it often seems to be the way um although the, you know the, we've had a, we have had a couple of coaches and managers on who 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 were who were really good but but like you like you've just said there it often seems to be the way that that people sort of move towards coaching and management. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm terrible at football, but I also have no interest in coaching whatsoever. No. So um, <laughs> I guess they're, 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 they're different disciplines. So I mean, yeah. being a player is fantastic and you get a great deal of insight and having played some level, you kind of know the, yeah. the whys and wherefores, etc. But being able to coach and stand in front of a group of people and communicate and get your ideas across and also formulate how you want your team to look and play. It's a completely d- different set of skills. Um, so it is good that people go and try and get the education to do your badges, do your CPD at the same time, uh, which the Bucks and Bucks FA has been really good over this lockdown period, putting loads of information out online for people to watch. And so, so I mean, there are there are different skill sets within there that you know, should hopefully be appreciated by people who want to hire good coaches and good managers. Um, I just had one more to finish off. Uh, we've we've kind of come to the come to the end of our end of our time together. Rob, did you have anything you wanted to? Um, I was going to inquire about the uh, um, UEFA B uh, badges and all the other badges that uh, you've mm-hmm. done there. Um, 
obviously um it's great to have them and it could require um and maybe to go further up the leagues it might be a, a bit of a requirement in some um in some cases um is there anything particular that you feel like you really benefited from from being on these courses and not saying that they're not worth it i'm just saying no. specifically what did you uh, um uh, what benefits did you get from actually being on the courses and and doing those badges i had a really good coach educator and a guy called jim kelman um, he'd been a manager at Wick and Wanderers. He'd done some work with people at like Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, I did my level two and my level three with him, or my B license with him, um, when I did the, again, when I was sort of nearly 30 odd years old. And he put a lot of detail in to how you set your sessions up and information. And that was educational. You kind of, I'm working with a group of people on the course. You've got people from all different backgrounds. So we had Steve Guppy doing my level two with me. Um, right. and John Underwood did my level two with me as well at the same time and it, it said, I can't remember if it was on my B licence oh, Lydia Bedford had been B licence who is now a, a, an age group coach with England women's uh, section so, so you kind of got to learn from them learn from your group people who are in different academies see how things are done so it's not just what you learn from your instructor it's about what you learn from other people on the course but I mean I probably learnt even more from working with good coaches I think um, to Jane Ludlow at Reading just her organisation, where she set uh, sessions up, little bits of information. But she'd been a Champions League winner at Arsenal. She brought England internationals down to our training sessions to come and inspire people and <laughs> see how they did it. And you, you just get different insights. So it's not just about the badges, but they give you a great founding of the... It's not about the X's and O's and where you put them. It's the information you want to be able to put across and, and how you link things together is, is very important from that. But it's what you learn from other people you work with is just as important. Um, I just had one. I just I'm not quite sure why this popped in my head, but obviously you were talking about kind of like being at um, being at Reading, playing at the uh, sort of managing and at uh, the Medeski. Um In terms of non-league grounds, which one did you always enjoy going to outside of perhaps Aldermaston and Wallingford? Which was what was the one you looked forward to? Not necessarily playing against the team there, but just the, the yeah. ground itself, the facility. So I think the first time we went to Didcot when we were at Aldermaston. Um, yeah. Because we'd come from being in the TVO playing on some awful park pitches at times. <laughs> and we went to Didcot, which unfortunately the pitch probably isn't quite the same condition now. But it yeah. was an absolute carpet of a surface. You had a proper stand, lovely yeah. dressing rooms, nice and big. Uh, you could hear the train going past as you went through. Um, we got beat on the day and there was a disappointment. It, you know, some of the players I had, because I think for them it was a bit like, oh, this is nice, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and that's, um, <laughs> rather than... It's it's green and it's got a goal at each end. Yeah. Let's focus on trying to play properly. Um, but there are some really nice little non-league grounds around to go to. I mean, Burnham's got a really nice setup there with the well, the nursery and the and all the sort of different uh, the gym inside the, the main stand. Um, but yeah, I think Didcot was probably one of the first ones. Tame Rangers or Tame yeah. United. It's a nice nice ground there. Um, there are some others that, that you think you're amazed how they're still standing <laughs> and pass any sort of health and safety checks. Um, but yeah, and I think Dick was probably the first one that went into it, but this is a nice standard to be, to be sort of coming to have a game of football at. It's been a long, long time since I've been to Loop Meadow. Um, and of course, it was previously uh, overlooked by the, the big tower, the big cooling towers. I'm not sure. I yeah, don't, yeah. They're not there anymore, I don't think. No. But, but I guess there's a link there as well, because you, yeah. you guys were coming from the, the research facility heading over to the, uh, <laughs> yeah. to the power station. So <laughs> if, you, were you, if you were all glowing green, I wouldn't have been surprised. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Kieran, thank you ever so much for joining us. We do have one final question, non-football related, that we are uh, asking everybody at the end of the podcast. Can you recommend a box set or a pod? Uh, sorry, a box set or a TV show that uh, our listeners can 
get into? Yeah, sure. So, um, two, one thing I've not been watching so much in this lockdown, but I think it's one of the best TV shows, and there's about five series of it, and it's on Amazon Prime, would be Friday Night Lights, oh, um, yes. which is a fantastic TV series. Yes. Um, Coach Eric Taylor, who was just yeah, he's a, he's a hero of mine, and hey, man, it's Tammy Taylor, I don't know. Oh. Um, but I've got like Dylan Panther's T-shirts and notebooks at home and everything. <laughs> absolutely love Friday Night Lights. It's, uh, yeah wonderful program even the second Always series after... even the second yeah. series because that oh. Just, oh, I just it because it all gets forgotten the second all series the, all the way through to when he changes school i love it right yeah, the way through to the end it yeah. is a terrific show absolutely a, terrific show. yeah always ask yourself tom what would riggins do that's yeah. how you get through any situation <laughs> um Punching, and then I suspect. The, yeah um the other one would be which i'm kind of am going through a lockdown and I, I was amazed it took me so long to get onto it's parks and recreation okay um i was a big fan of the american office and it's made by the same people of that and it's just hilarious so you'll get you have a good you know, 20 odd minutes an episode um but they're really good light-hearted watches so um those would be my two recommendations fantastic bonus points for both of those we've not had any of them so far so cool. and friday nights friday night lights is just unbelievable yeah so if people so haven't good. seen it get out and go and, go yeah. and watch it because it is yeah. um, a brilliant uh, tv series kieran jennings thank you ever so much um that was the Berkshire Football Stories podcast, pub but not in a pub chat, with Kieran Jennings, formerly of AFC Wallingford. No, Wallingford Town. This is going really well. Wallingford <laughs> Town and AFC Aldermaston. Uh, you can see more in this series by searching Berkshire Football Stories on your favourite podcast app. Please subscribe for all the latest, and if you have a minute, please give us a rating and a review. All that is left to say is that it's goodbye from me, Tom. It's goodbye from Rob. Goodbye, everyone. And it's goodbye from Kieran. Goodbye, everyone.